Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast, the podcast that believes that consistent footballing performances are about as welcome as a dose of the coronavirus. This week on Heart and Hand, brilliance in Braga turns to capitulation in the capital as jails are hapless at hearts. Hello and welcome to the Heart and Hand podcast. This is your flagship show for the week. My name is Callum Bell and I'm stepping in for Mr Edgar uh, for this week. And joining me on a journey I'm fairly certain is going to be fairly cathartic and probably most enjoyable to our friends across the city who are no doubt listening in their droves is Mr Colin McMillan. Colin, I won't ask how you are because I know that you're hurting. What I will ask is, are you feeling any better? I am feeling slightly better, Cameron, yeah. Um, I've thought about things a fair bit and a bit of the emotion has come out of it. Um, but there's still, I think, many questions to be answered and a long way to go before we get to the bottom of what's been going on and hopefully find some way out of it. Well, Colin, I'm glad to hear that you're feeling better because I'm being perfectly honest, if I had a ginger-headed stepchild in the house, I probably would have beaten it uh, half to death by now because... I'm not feeling much better. In fact, if, if I start to go into ranty soapbox mode, I'd like you to use our safe word, which is hopefully you'll remember is Loudrop. So if I hear you say that word, I will try and come back down to earth because uh, 40 hours later, I'm still incredibly annoyed and pissed off at what we were forced to endure at Tynecastle. So uh, let's rip the plaster off and let's get right into it. Rangers came back. Uh, from Portugal last week with a, a fantastic performance uh, against Braga, which saw us get through to the last 16 of the Europa League, which uh, will also see us now having been drawn in Friday afternoon up against Bayer Leverkusen. However, Colin, we had um, some more pressing domestic business at hand, which was a 5.30 kick-off on Saturday against Hearts at Tynecastle in the quarter-final of the Scottish Cup. Now, Colin, I think from the outside looking in, most people, 
would have looked at the performance in Braga, the result in Braga, the fact that, again, like you say, you're now competing with 15 other teams to get to the uh, the Europa League um, final. And for that, it feels a lot to me like as if, OK, that's a great platform for us to be able to go back to Tyne Castle, having been battered there a few weeks ago. Um, but for those of us that watch Rangers regularly and see us domestically, uh, we still approach this with a fair bit of caution, um, proven to be correct, obviously. But that was mostly from the league game uh, where we took a bit of a tanking off them, uh, as I say, about a month or so ago. Were you confident getting into this? Were you having a dose of the realism? Where were you at in the run-up to it? Um, I'm going to be completely honest. I was bang up for it and I wasn't overly worried. I just didn't think we would make the same mistakes again. Um I know we all joked and spoke about how, how well Thursday was and it was guaranteed we would throw it all away on the Saturday. But I did just treat that as a bit of a joke. I, I didn't think this team would do this to us at this weekend. And I, I thought the high of Thursday would be enough. The fact that this wasn't the league, it was the cup. So you like to think that maybe a little bit of the league pressure is off them. It's a one-off cup game to get to a semi-final at Hampden um, to get realistically our best chance at silverware. And... I just genuinely thought we would we would do what we needed to do. I did not see Saturday coming at all. Yes, well, um, as as Rangers love to make it even more difficult than is absolutely necessary, uh, in his pre-match press conference uh, after the team was announced, uh, the manager, Stephen Gerrard, explained that Alfredo Morelos had been purposefully omitted from the squad due to a disciplinary issue, uh, obviously, um, and it won't be the first time uh, in relation to this game, the rumour mill started and um, as it transpires, Colin, um, Alfredo was home in Colombia. Um, there has been ongoing rumours that his mother was quite ill uh, and well, has been quite ill. Um, he was given permission by the club to go back. However, the agreement was that he was due back by a certain time in order to prepare adequately for Saturday's game. He breached that timetable. Uh, we believe that one of his connecting flights was impacted. Um, Rangers felt, however, that um, Alfredo hadn't made every effort to be able to try and ensure that he came back in time to be sufficiently prepared. Um, now, it's easy to look back in hindsight and be able to say as to whether or not that was the right decision. What I will say is, in the run-up to the game, before a ball had been kicked, given the way how Morelos has been playing recently, I think he's overweight. I think that he is shit out of form. Um, potentially, there may be other things playing in his mind. And again, if, he's, if his mother's unwell, that's absolutely understandable as to why he's got a bit of a loss of focus. However, I don't think he's been fit, and I think that he has been struggling. So... When I heard this at the time, I agreed with the manager's decision. Were you in the same boat or had you thought, well, maybe we could have given him some leeway and still included him? Well, I think some of the context you've given us in terms of his mother not being well, in terms of missing the flight, uh, or flights being cancelled or whatever it was, we didn't really have that um, at five o'clock on Saturday. We just had there been a disciplinary issue. And I think when the manager comes out and it's a disciplinary issue enough that he feels valid to talk about it on the TV, then you do do the right thing, and that is the right thing that he did to drop him. Um, I think that the only person having a worse 2020 than Rangers is Alfredo Morelos. Um, this is a guy who finished December on about 30 goals, and we're now going into March, and he is on about 30 goals. Um, he's he's not kicked his arse, really, this calendar year. 
And as much as we probably could have been doing with him on Saturday, the way he's playing just now, there's no real guarantee that he would have made a difference on Saturday for us. So I think given what we knew at the time and what the manager told us, I thought fair enough. Um, he's obviously done something that's annoyed Gerard, and it's got to a point where for a manager that's defended him a lot and praised him a lot, he's obviously got to some sort of a line and crossed it and the manager did what he thought he had to do. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And as I say, I think, um, you know, we have been supportive of Alfredo uh, during his self-imposed suspension. Um, and again, as I say, tolerating probably some of those performances. However, that gave a starting berth to Greg Stewart um, as a, a fairly unfamiliar start with uh, Jermaine Defoe coming back into the squad and making the bench. Um, however, obviously having missing a number of games, still not fully match sharp. Um, and also Yanis uh, Hadji dropping to the bench as well, pretty likely because of um, how many games he's been playing and he was also carrying a, a slight knock himself. Um, Colin, I um, know a lot of Harps fans, um, having the privilege to live in West Lothian. Um, and speaking to some of them in the build-up to this, uh, given their current league form and the fact that they are rooted to the bottom of the table and that they have an Edinburgh derby tomorrow night, um, a lot of them had said to me, I don't expect a big crowd. Um, don't think it's a priority. Um, it's probably nice to have, but the focus is on getting league points and also um, being able to try and put a decent performance against Hibs at Easter Road uh, on Tuesday coming. Um, and that was certainly reflected in what, in my opinion, looked like a half-empty time castle. But for what little there were in terms of spectators from the home side, um, Harps started very, very brightly. Um, Stephen Naismith, who I think I'm perfectly comfortable in awarding man of the match because he was completely dominant from pretty much the first minute, winning everything in the air and putting himself about everywhere, including uh, right in the referee Stephen McLean's ear hole half the time. Um was probably the first one to get a decent chance when he forced out a save from Al McGregor to be able to try and tip over the bar. Um, looked like we were watching a bit of a replay from the league game um, a few weeks ago, Colin. Don't really think that there was much more of a a, a change to, to Hart's attitude because they came out all guns blazing and, and quite clearly they were, they were certainly up for it. Yeah, they definitely were. And I, I sort of fell for that in the build-up as well. I looked at where Hearts were in the league and looked at the games they had coming up and I didn't think they would see this game as a priority. I, I think they've got far more pressing things in the league and that Edinburgh derby coming up as well. And I was hoping the players would treat it that way. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't the case. and It did just look like almost a rerun of what we've seen in Tynecastle two times already this season, uh, where they somehow managed to play above themselves and better than their, their form suggests. Uh, they've got the players that want to do it, led by Naismith more often than not. And they, they make us look second best, which is it's, it's terrible. Um, Hearts should never make us look second best. They shouldn't make us look second best in effort or ability. And they did that in both areas on Saturday. Well, Hearts were forced into an early change as uh, about 50 minutes into the game, John Suter has... Uh, tweaked an Achilles injury which we believe that he'd uh, been having work on um, it was a, a completely innocuous uh, accident that had happened to him he's uh, I think twisted it call and he's then went to the ground had to be um, replaced which has forced uh, Daniel Strendel into an early change to be able to uh, obviously get him treatment understanding is now that he's out for the rest of the season um, 
the major disruption seemed to be coming from the fact that Rangers looked very disjointed and there was uh, a fair amount of tackles going in and uh, a a Tynecastle Park, which maybe was not the best. Not that we can really discuss that, to be fair. Um, (laughs) And the next one which happened, or the next big incident which came, was uh, a booking for Ryan Jack. Jack had a wonderful uh, couple of pieces of play, beating a couple of men uh, right on the touchline. The ball was overran. He was able to come in to try and put in a tackle. Um, I'll be honest with you, I watched it and I've seen it back a couple of times. He was given a booking for it, Colin. I think potentially he could have walked. Um, I think it was a bit late and I think it was a bit naughty. Um, and I actually think it wasn't anything to do other than the fact that he was getting frustrated at how he and the team were playing up to that point. Yeah, it was one of those ones where you needed the replays for um, live. You couldn't really see too much of who was at fault or what was happening. But in the replay, it was late. It kept the leg in. And if, if he'd been sent off with a complaint, like daft, of course we would. But realistically, it would have been a realistic option. It could have happened. And he would only have himself to blame. And we could have been looking at an even worse result than what we had. A little more than 10 minutes later, second substitution was made. So this time it was for Rangers. And that is uh, for Scott Arfield, who um, had felt that he'd pulled uh, potentially a, a, a quad. And as a result of that, it looked like he had to be able to go off. He was then replaced by Shea Ojo. Ojo, I feel Colin um, did quite well across in Braga. He has been omitted from squad recently. Um, I do think that's on merit. I don't think he's been playing well enough to be able to try and be included. However, I thought he did very, very well against uh, Braga when he came on. Uh, did what he had to do, stretched them open. Um but I was very surprised to see him coming on for our field because it then meant that we had to rejig him. And that, I think, was my clearest indicator that potentially the fitness levels on the bench were not as good as we would have hoped. I take you, you equally surprised to see him stripped and, and replacing our field? Yeah, very much so. Um, it, it seemed it just seemed a crazy choice uh, to bring him on. And to be fair to Ojo, he did do well on Thursday. He, came, he was brought on with clear instructions. And he did them, and he did them well for the, the time he was on the pitch. I can't really criticise him at all for Thursday night. Um, for the rest of the season building up to that, he's not been in squads for a reason. And to throw him on on Saturday in that position, it's, it, it wasn't the right move. But you're right, if the, if the bench wasn't fit enough to come on and make the difference, then that's, that's why he was the guy that was thrown on. You would have thought that Hadji would have been brought on. As soon as I saw that Arthur was injured, I just assumed they would bring Hadji on and he would work through whatever short of fitness or whatever bump or whatever he had, but obviously he was worse off than we thought. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the next real significant um, part of the match came about five minutes after that when Ryan Kent running through as he's bearing down through on goal is is uh, fouled uh, by Damore. Um That became relevant uh, a few short minutes later, Colin, as uh, Rangers potentially, by this point in the game, could have had a penalty from a, a lovely piece of Ryan uh, Kent uh, skill in the box. Uh, nutmegs his man as he comes through. Um, he's then basically obstructed. Um, Ali McCoyst and the punditry at halftime said, if that happens anywhere else in the park, then it's a, it's a foul. Stephen McLean, um, from all of about 10 yards away, if that, uh, clear viewpoint and... Uh, nothing given. Um, I'll be honest with you, Colin. I've I've seen this a few times, and in my opinion, it's it's a stick-on penalty. 
Um, yeah, for me, it's a penalty. Um, it's, it's Alan McCoy's just bang on with what he says. If if that happens anywhere, it's a free kick. And for some reason, the, the penalty, because it's a harsher thing to give, give against a team, they don't seem to put the same letter of the law when it comes to the same sort of challenge and the same sort of thing in the box. It shouldn't be. Uh, a foul's a foul, no matter where it is. And Ali was bang on. For me, it would have been a penalty. And the thing is, we probably would have missed it, Cammy, um, the way we are with penalties just now. It's about... I think I, I said something at the time, it's as useful for us as a throw-in at the moment, but I would like to have given us the opportunity at least to take the penalty, and uh, for me, it was a penalty. Yeah, I, I, I think it was a penalty, and potentially we could have got Megan Bell from the Rangers women's team to, to, to draft <laughs> in to be able to try and take it. She's in great goal-scoring form at the moment, Megan. If you're listening to this, please keep up, but if you could train our men's team how to take penalties, that would be absolutely fantastic. Um, now, I mentioned Demur earlier on because um, as a byproduct, he's involved in, in probably the most contentious um, talking points of the game, and I would dare say across all of Scottish football this weekend, where a bouncing ball um, is uh, put through to, to Stephen Naismith, and he's, he's on the charge for it. Now, I do want to explain as to how I've seen this, Colin, and, and, and I, I'm quite eager to get your kind of point counterpoint on this, and, and, and if you feel I'm wrong, like, totally disagree please make sure you say so because what it appeared to me um upon replays is that the the ball is coming through Edmondson is coming through to to take on Naismith it looks like it could have hit Stephen Naismith's hand it then definitely hits George Edmondson's hand as he bats away the ball to go out for a corner now, what then happens is Stephen Naismith immediately turns around to, to Stephen McLean and says, it's a handball, that's a handball. And he's very, very quickly joined by Alan McGregor, who's stating that Naismith handballed it. Now, what I will say is um, I can't see how Stephen Naismith definitively and clearly handballs it, but George Edmondson definitely does. That's a penalty for Harps. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to disagree with you, but I can't. It... The Naismith stuff wasn't as clear. You couldn't really tell, especially at the time for the referee. Uh, Edmondson one was blatant, used his left arm, and he, he almost ushered the ball out of the way. Um, it, it was very, very clearly a penalty, and Tart should have had a penalty as well. Um, we look for consistency with the referees. It's not really this level of consistency we're looking for, but it's consistency nonetheless. Um, but for me, yeah, that should have been a penalty to Hurts. So just to show this isn't going to be a massive tirade yet, against Stephen McLean. I will give him some degree of the doubt uh, because unlike uh, the Kent incident and what we're about to talk about, um, he was quite obstructed by a number of... uh, He was obstructed by quite a number of players uh, between him and the ball. Edmondson's, I do feel, however, was clear enough. And and again, I think, you know, we're both in agreement, Colin, that happens um, against you. You are, you know, screaming bloody murder for the penalty. Well, for sure. Um, if only, if only, Cammy, there was some sort of technology we could get in the game that would help instances like this. Yes, that that you know is a a, a silence almost uh, without competition in Scotland. Um, the next uh, piece of contention comes in, and and again, Colin, I want to give you a bit of my breakdown with this. And again, please give me your give me your counterpoint if you feel I'm wrong. Corner comes in from Harps, and Demur, who's already on a booking by this point, channels his inner NBAA players reaches up with both hands the ball is then handballed into the net by him it looks to me and again as I say I've seen this a few times and I'm not seeing anything to convince me otherwise Stephen McLean instantly gives the goal he points towards the the, the circle we were watching it um, obviously on, on Premier Sports so they give the goal 
Um, the Rangers team, um, pretty much all of whom to a man have been in the box at this point, all clearly see this. They are surrounding the referee, who, and again, from my view, looks like he's then given alternate advice from his uh, counterparts. Um, this is at the same time that Willie Collum, who's the fourth official, is um, in a very, very heated conversation with Stephen Gerrard. Um, and McLean is notified that it was a handball, at which point he disallows the goal and then gives a free kick. However, the conversation is still ongoing and continues to go on as McLean almost instantly, as soon as a free kick is taken, uh, blows for half time. That if he sees that that's a deliberate handball, why is he not sent Demore off because he's already on a booking? So, do you agree with that breakdown of it, Colin? That he initially gave the goal, then he gave the free kick. And then I think he just very simply realised he'd made a monumental arse of it, blew for halftime as quick as he could in order to be able to try and get back into the, the changing room and put what was a fairly incident-riddled first half behind him. Yeah, for sure. You could you could tell watching it that he awarded the goal. He turned and pointed, and that's what the, the, TV, the TV station looks for, and that's when they update their clock as well. He gave the goal. He then, obviously... Our players aren't the best at crowding a referee and putting a referee under pressure. They don't do it often enough for me. But the fact that they did it, and they did it en masse, I, I, I think there was eight of our players around the referee in the, uh, just after this. And that obviously put a lot of pressure on him. He's used his assistants, he's used his fourth official, and he's changed his mind, which is massively unusual. You don't often get that happening, especially in our game. But to be fair to him, he did do it. But the act of doing that, he's, he has basically shot himself and thought, right, let's get these players off this pitch as quickly as possible. And he's missed the fact that the guy should have been booked for it. It's, if you've handled the ball in the box to try and get an advantage, it's a yellow card, regardless of whether you've been booked before or not. So he should have been off. Um, and you could see how angry the players were and Stephen Gerrard were in, in, the, in the aftermath of that. Um, so kudos to the referee for realising his mistake and fixing it. Um, but he undoes all that good work for me with the, with the way they treated blowing the whistle and getting the players off the pitch as quickly as they did. Yeah, and to have an eight-yard perfect view of it and still have to be told by a linesman or a fourth official who are half a pitch away that he's got that completely wrong absolutely baffles me. But however, so we get into half-time um, and Colin, if we rewind to the 26th of January, we were probably in not a dissimilar position where we go in uh, at nil nil, Hearts have definitely been in the game, um, putting all of the refereeing controversy to one side. I think I was pretty relieved to get at half time. And then, if I go back to that game in January, um, a couple of minutes after the start of half time, uh, Ryan Kent opens a scoring for us. However, uh, this time around, Hearts came back out and still looked to be in fairly consistent form all the you know all the way through for the first fifty minutes or so until Rangers are then completely undone by um, a defensive masterclass involving Joe Aribo, Connor Goldson, James Tavernier and Al McGregor. Um, Aribo deals with a ball which is uh, quite high for him. He, he, he headers it back towards his own back four. Connor Goldson looks to be able to then get a touch on it, at which point um, the ball falls to James Tavernier. He, in turn then um, does a soft header, which I don't think he quite realises isn't going to, to come back to McGregor. Uh, Moore of Hearts is straight on to it. He's then able to um, pick up the ball. At this stage, what's now happening is Alan McGregor is coming out to try and close him down. It's too late to do so. 
Moore looks up and he looks up at Bazzani, who's then completely unmarked in the box, scores a goal, um, Hearts get the goal, which frankly has been coming and that they deserve. Um, and now we are looking very, very rudderless, in my opinion, Colin. I thought we would struggle to be able to try and score, but that to me, even with 30 minutes left to play, almost signaled game over. Yeah, it was a it was a calamity of errors. Um, Tav, who I'm sure we're going to talk about uh, in a little while, um, has taken most of the flack for it, but he wasn't the only guilty one. There was, like you said, three or four players that didn't cover themselves in glory in defence in this goal. Um, there was just mistake after mistake that led to this goal. And after Hart scored, it just seemed very, very familiar. Um, we've, we saw that comeback a couple of weeks ago at Ibrox against Braga, but we've not shown ourselves great at coming back and getting results when we when we go behind. It's not been it's not been something we've done a hell of a lot of. And the form we're in just now domestically, I did start feeling the worst. I think the best we could have hoped for at one 0 was maybe stealing an equaliser and pushing it to a replay this week. And that would have caused its own issues with Wednesday's game um against Hamilton ended up being postponed and moved and all the stuff that would have came with that. But a replay on Wednesday was pretty much my only hope at this point. I didn't see any way we could win this game. Well, someone who was um, definitely having um, some thoughts on a replay in both a negative and a positive sense is George Edmondson. As Rangers, um, again, looked like the back four had not long just met each other before they arrived at Tynecastle. Um, and I do want to come back to the defensive partnerships, Colin, because I think we need to do a bit of a kind of player review and where we're at. But... Is looking to be able to try and clear the ball. Connor Goldson looks like he's going to it first. Edmondson shouts, um, completely misjudges the ball um, and actually plays a wonderful through ball to Stephen Naismith, who um, fortunately for us puts the ball wide. Edmondson, however, is then involved in two other um, uh, very positive pieces of play, very seldom positive pieces of play, um, where from a corner he um, is given a header which actually comes off of his shoulder and goes over the bar. However, only a couple of minutes after that, as we are now chasing a draw to be able to, to as I say, take the game back to Ibrox, um, James Tavernier puts in an absolutely wonderful cross, which is pinpoint accuracy for Edmondson. He um, leaps, he's completely unmarked, there is not a Hearts player around him because he's beaten the offside trap, um, and from about four yards, Colin heads the ball over the bar, and I think that for most of us watching, and for most of us in the ground, that was the chance to be able to try and salvage something out of the game. That was, the, he, had, he had two chances, um, one better than the other, and... We didn't take them, and that that was going to be it. If we we're not going to take pinpoint chance like that one, then I don't see another way we we're going to break through. Um, Edmondson's looked quite good um, in the box attacking. He's he scored a couple of goals. He's looked like he's, he's a big, strong guy. He's good at getting to the end of things, but he just wasn't able to control this ball and actually get it on target. He put it over both times, and that was us. There, there wasn't much else we could do at that point. No, I agree with that, and I think. Um to ensure that we're not saying that it's a deflection or being able to try and, and appropriate the blame elsewhere because we certainly will be putting some blame onto some shoulders in just a few short minutes. But irrespective of Stephen McLean's absolutely disgraceful performance, there is absolutely no way the referee was at fault for this. Rangers did not turn up. Um, the performances from the players were absolutely diabolical. The lack of lessons... Um, learn from the management from the last game at Tynecastle absolutely showed because we had no change to approach. 
Um, the manager um, eventually came out after the game, um, and this starts rumour mill number two. Um, clearly dejected, the manager came out to say, um, it's tough when every other performance is the way how you feel like this. It is tough. I need to analyse myself for sure. And this is the toughest moment I've had since I've come here. It will be extremely difficult in the short term to win trophies because of where we lie from a league point of view. We all know that we've punched above our weight in Europe so far, and this is what I need to analyse in the coming days. The plan was to have a day off on Sunday. I need to think hard about where we are as a group. I need to do some real serious thinking in the next 24 to 48 hours. That caused a bit of a storm, um, probably between the, the, the fan base and also from um, the mainstream media, um, as the questions were then being asked if Gerard was going to walk. Now, we're recording this on Monday afternoon. Um, there were players attended uh, the Rangers training centre yesterday, but it was um, Ryan Jack and Scott Arfield who went in for treatment. Uh, the club have denied that there are plans to change the manager and for the manager to leave. Um, and the expectancy is that he will be in the dugout on Wednesday. Um, however, um, he has yet again called, and I know that Martin Ramsey of this this parish has mentioned this before, there are times when um, Gerard comes out and he sounds like a player rather than a manager. Um, he's very critical of the of the players, and whilst I agree with that to a point, you and I have seen plenty of match of the day interviews where the manager comes out and no matter how bad the team's played, he's always openly, publicly supported them and, and criticised them behind closed doors. But this to me, Colin, when I heard this, it felt very, very real that he was considering walking. It's certainly what it sounded like and whether that was his spots at the time or that's what he was trying to say, it was it was a stupid thing for him to say in that situation because that was all we were going to hear off the back of it. It was going to build up pressure, it was going to fuel the media and it was going to just put more pressure on him and, and also the team. Um, he does have his heart on his sleeve at times and he is very, very honest at times in these interviews and um, he is a young manager he's still learning the game and parts of that is probably the to be a little bit more media savvy in terms of the managerial questions because he'll have been through all sorts of media training with Liverpool and also with England as their captain but the sort of questions you get asked as a manager is very very different from what you get asked as a player and um, the responsibilities on you are very very different as well and you're right I think saying that he sounded like a player was exactly how he did sound that's how he came across um, he didn't sound like the the gaffer or the guy in charge or the guy that was going to pull everybody else together and sort this out. He sounded like a guy who was a bit lost and a little bit abreast of ideas and not sure what to do. And it's it's not a good look. Um, from my own personal point of view, I don't think he had any intention of stepping down. I don't I don't think that's what he was referring to. But he put himself in a position where that's what it could be reported and that's what people could say. And it's it's just not a good look at all. He, he does have to be careful with this sort of stuff. It's similar with the way he criticises the players at times. I think there's a happy medium to be had that when players need criticising, then you do it. However, I think we maybe do it a little bit too often and some of it should stay in-house. Um, if a player lets you down two, three, four times, then definitely say something in the media and see if that does something with them. But doing it every time they have a bad game, it's I don't think it's the best management style. Um as obviously nothing like the sort of pressure or the way he lives or the job that he does but from a personal point of view if I'm managing someone in a workplace the, you don't want to lambast them in front of everybody it's not the best thing to do 
it should be more of a a little last roll of the dice thing to try and get a, a, a lift out of somebody rather than the, the first go-to thing is just embarrassing somebody or openly criticising them. It doesn't, it doesn't work, especially in 2020 with prima donna footballers that aren't used to it and won't part with it. It doesn't work with them, I don't think. Well, we'll come back to Gerard in just a bit because I do want to focus on who, in my opinion, were the main villains of the piece here and that has to come to the players. Um, Colin, I've grown up with a lot of Rangers teams. We've grown up through a lot of turmoil and changes, uh, some enforced, some complete rebuilding, uh, which hasn't worked. Um, the manager's been given time and money to bring in players of quality. Um, the concern that I've got at the moment, above everything else, is this team just lacks dig. It lacks character. Um, coming back to the management staff in just a second because I think that they've definitely got questions to answer as well but what I expect to see from a Rangers team that goes a goal down in a game that they should win is a little bit of that you know, that inner workings of the group to say what is it's happening here we need to take responsibility for this and what I'm very, very concerned and I'll lay this at the captain's door first and foremost is that doesn't feel like that's there in any aspect whatsoever. I know that we've mentioned McGregor getting off his head um, at the referee, and he continues to do it, and there's very much times where Alan McGregor uh, does look like he's potentially walking into a caution. However, I feel that there isn't captain material, and I include James Tavernier on this as well as the captain at the moment, that will turn around now and instill that fight, that you know, I want to be with him in the trenches mentality. Someone to be able to dig out a hole when it's there. We've got experience. We've got some winners in the team from McGregor himself, Stephen Davis. Stephen Davis, in my opinion, can't be that guy because I think he's too quiet. Plus, I think he's bang out of form at the moment. Tav has not been in great form at all any cross, uh, across any part, part of the season. But right now, I don't feel that there's anyone in there with, for want of a better term, the balls to be able to get these guys together during a game on the park and say, we have to get out of this right now. What are we doing about it? Because we're far too reliant on the manager doing it in the dressing room at halftime. Um, I feel that there has to be responsibility in terms of who does what and where. And what I mean by that is you have to have someone commanding the back line, whether that's Tav or Goldson, both of whom are incredibly trusted by the manager. George Edmondson had a shit day at the office on Saturday. I'm going to give him a little bit of a reprieve because he's young and because he's going to learn and because I don't believe um, that you saw the, the, the game on Wednesday night that all of a sudden he just develops and loses all of his talent. However, that's part of the problem. Ryan Kent came out and said last week, the good thing about playing in Europe is that the pressure's off of us. And I think that that massively concerned me when I heard that because you have to have players who are willing to go into games knowing that they should win, knowing that they will win. And I don't think we have that within this group. I don't think that we've got enough um, players who will take the responsibility 
to turn these performances around and then whether it's the following day, at, you know, at, at training, whether it's a, a post-match debrief or analysis, someone to stand up and say, this is not good enough. There's there's always, always in my time watching Rangers, Rangers have had a captain, but they've also nearly always had two or three other captains, unofficial captains, in the pitch in that 11 with them. If you think back to even if you think back to Advocate's time, um, his first season, um, you've got Amoruso, but you also had Ferguson. You also had Ed Ferguson that first season as well. You had Arthur Newman at left back. You had players that could shout, they could display those captain sort of tendencies. When Lorenzo lost the captaincy and Barry took it over, uh, you had players like Ronald DeBoer in the team. You had still had Amoruso in the team, to be fair, as well. There was other players that could kind of shoulder that with you. And in our team just now, there isn't that. There's too many young players that don't have it in them yet to be sort of captains or to be that guy that will stand up when maybe Tav's quiet or when Tav's not there. Um, or you've got Alan McGregor, who's a goalkeeper. He's he's too far back to get involved in a lot of the stuff, so it doesn't work for me. Um, you've got Jermaine Defoe, who's obviously got the he's got the experience. He's world, a man of the, of the world in terms of football. He knows the game inside out, but he's not our first-choice striker, so he's not on the pitch often enough. The rest of the teams, you look at guys like Aribo, Kent, um, they're, they're too young. They did not got the experience. Our defenders, you've got Connor Goldson, who is our, he's our vice captain. Um, he's probably the only one that does try and get involved at times and does try and do stuff. If you look at the rest of the players, it's all youngsters that just don't have it in them yet. Or guys like Stephen Davis, who, like you said, are quiet or shit out of form. Or Ryan Kent, sorry, Ryan Jack, who is maybe somebody we should be looking for for a little bit more of this. Um, Tav get, got, gets a lot of criticism all the time for not being a captain, not being a leader when he was out the team um, in January start of February, a lot of people did start to comment that he was actually was missed and maybe we were seeing some of his stuff it just wasn't noticeable the leadership stuff that he did and there was more to him than maybe we gave him credit for but when you see performances like Saturday and the team doing what they did you do have to ask the question about him as a captain and whether that role of captain is, is even good for him in terms of what he can do as a player, would he be more effective for us and maybe have less errors if all he had to concentrate on was his own individual game. Um, the issue with not having Tavis captain, though, is that there's just not any other candidates in the team. There's nobody you would say, like, there's a guy gagging for it, give it to him, but there's just nobody there, Cami. And that's an issue in terms of the squad and in terms of the squad recruitment. We've recruited certain players in a certain way and experience and sort of captain leadership style hasn't been one of the attributes we've went for big in any of the transfer windows under Gerard. It just hasn't been a thing he's really considered and I think we're maybe starting to see that as being an issue. Um, this team do have a dig in them. This team do. They do it in Europe. They're capable of lifting their game. They're capable of lifting each other. But something happens domestically where they just absolutely shrink. And I've been thinking about it all season because this isn't just a new thing this weekend. But it's just such a hard thing for me to try and watch it and understand it and try and give some sort of reason to it. Because to me, a team like ours that is able to do things they did last last Wednesday, I should say, coming and playing against Hearts in a cup game should be easy. It should it should be a relief to after the strains of Europe and having to work their socks off and putting all that energy into it. And we're seeing the exact opposite time after time after time. And I, I just don't get where it's coming from. But the lack of leadership in the team is certainly one of the areas that could be responsible. Um, I So I agree and I disagree. I, I think that there's a difference between having dig in Europe 
and been able to um what's the best way to put this i think it's easy to be able to do that when there's no pressure on you because and, and i'll explain that in very simple terms um when we were one nil down against hibs at the beginning of february we were completely adrift in terms of any kind of form um within that game and been able to try and get back into it and being at that game as you were i am sure you felt the same way i did a very tangible very clear disapproval which was going to come to the team as soon as the halftime whistle blew george edmondson scores an equalizer and then all of a sudden it's right okay we're back in the game it's fine and it virtually silenced the crowd for what was coming um in terms of you know huge boos that were going to happen at that point which if i'm being perfectly honest with were perfectly deserving because hibs outplayed us in that first half but you then translate that to the braga game and going one nil down uh, at half time and going behind from a wonder goal which it really really was the the first braga goal and i think at that point most people were like right okay fair enough. and that's from the fans and i think the players feel that way as well i think that the players um, when they have to think about it and they get panicked, they shit themselves domestically. And I don't think they have that fear factor in Europe because we're punching above our weight. So I don't necessarily think the two of them transcribe in terms of balls and dig and all the rest of it because I think they just see Europe as a bit of kind of glitter more than anything else. The real jobby that it's on is everything which is happening domestically and that's where they can turn around and challenge each other. And I think that most fans get frustrated when they look at what happened at Tynecastle on Saturday and what they see almost man-to-man is players turning around and almost a certain extent not understanding what's happening but not taking the responsibility and those are two different things. I think you can turn around and say, I don't get why so-and-so is not playing well, I don't get why he's not playing well or his passing's been shocking or whatever. Um but there's, there's a lack of ownership from it. And for me, that has to stem from the captain. Even when he makes a mistake or he completely bollocks up, and listen, let's go back to you know, great Rangers captains like Terry Butcher. Butcher could make mistakes. Butcher could score own goals against Celtic, but he knew how to be able to say, right, this is unacceptable. I'm letting my teammates down. I need to take responsibility for this. And I think that's missing from Tavernier at the moment. Yeah, there's, there's definitely some truth in that and it's an interesting way you've looked at it in terms of the difference between European and domestic games. Maybe I'm just looking at it too simplistically. Um, the, one of the other questions that comes off the back of this for me is that I can understand going to Tynecastle and having a poor day and getting a bad result. I get it, that is going to happen from time to time in football. One of the biggest issues I've got off the back of this weekend is players not learning from the stuff that's happened previously. So we went there in October and drew one each. We went there in January and lost, and they've went out and performed exactly the same way as they did in both those games. They've let hearts dictate the pace, they've let hearts dictate the momentum of the game, and they've let themselves be bullied at times. And that's one of the things I struggle to understand and I struggle to accept from this team that, okay, you have an off day, but you learn from it and you make sure, damn sure it doesn't happen again. And we've done it three times against hearts, hearts that are bottom of the league. Hearts that are struggling to go to stay in this league because their league, league campaign form is atrocious. And that's the biggest issue I've got, Cabby, that they don't seem to learn from the mistakes that they make. And that also could be from a leadership point of view, a dig point of view, and just a getting shit done point of view. They seem to be lacking at that, and I, I don't know where it comes from or how to fix it. 
Well, that was exactly the point I was going to make when I came back to the manager and, and his staff. Um, what I think benefited us towards the tail end of last year, Colin, was when we played and lost in the League Cup final against Celtic, we played in a manner, in a certain way, which I thought we would be unable to do in the win at the end of the month against them at Parkhead. And one of the things I'd said at that time, I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but one of the things I said at that time was, it surprises me that they didn't learn from us in the League Cup final and work out how we would play and yet they looked shell-shocked when we did exactly the same thing against them at Parkhead in terms of doing a high press, been able to try and, and, and hunt in packs, been able to try and recover and recycle the ball and then hit them in the counter. And it really genuinely did surprise me that they didn't learn from that. But now I've just seen our management group and Michael Beale, who took all of the plaudits for that win at Parkhead for his tactical nuance and what we can do from there and the advice that he gives Stephen Gerrard. We didn't change at all from the game at the end of January. We kept it exactly the same way. We did exactly the same thing and we got exactly the same result. This time, however, we didn't throw away a goal lead um, to then lose 2-1. And this time we actually just surrendered the, the game uh, pretty much from the first whistle. Um, I, I can understand to an extent placing blame on players like Goldson and Edmondson um, when they can't deal with guys like Stevie May and Stephen Naismith because they're not dealing with them. But tactically, this is where I think that that comes back to the manager and his staff. And I'm not going to sit here and say that there isn't clear, clear signs of progression under Stephen Gerrard. Because anyone who says that, you know, it just simply can't be, can't be proven. It's clear that we've improved. But what I would say is we're very, very... Um, lacking in a real amended game plan. We're working on a system that fits a striker who's either suspended, um, is removed for disciplinary reasons, or is shit out of form, and yet we stay true to that. Greg Stewart came into that team um, on Saturday and barely kicked his own arse. That, to me, is not playing to his strengths. That, to me, fair enough, could have been set up for Morelos in the first instance, and that was a game plan, and then we had to change it at the last minute because we then knew he wouldn't be involved. But we don't have an alternate. And that's what the manager has to answer for, in my opinion. Yeah, we've, we have a game plan and we've got a formation and we've got tactics that when everything clicks and we're up again the right game at the right time, then we actually look unstoppable. We look absolutely brilliant. However, there's a couple of things that need to happen in order for, for that to be a thing. We need both the fullbacks fit and playing well. We need Morelos at his best and we need a team to actually come and try and play football with us. And unfortunately... We've not really had many combinations of all of those things happening this season at the same time. And that is why we do need, we need, I don't want to talk about plan Bs and plan Cs and stuff like that, but we do need to have some different ways of playing. We need to coach some different formations, some different tactics and be ready to adapt and change for the game, which I don't think we do enough of. We have undoubtedly improved since last season. Um, even just looking at the league table, um, Celtic are 10 points better off at this stage than they were last season. We are six points better off with a game in hand. Um, it could be argued that we closed the gap between us and Celtic last season. The only issue is they went on this unprecedented run of form in the winter and pushed on even further ahead. And that's where this gap is now. But we can't keep changing manager at the first sign of trouble. They'll, they'll keep winning championships if we do that. Um, but we need to be a little bit smarter. We need to have a little bit more in our locker and offer more. And Because the, doing the same thing and losing all the time and not working is... It's just crazy, and other teams are working out now and fixing it for us, and they're going to 
know what to do. They're going to set up in a certain way that frustrates us and they're going to get results against us. And it's it's not good enough. It's not good enough for a guy like Stephen Gerrard and the backroom staff that he's assembled should be more than capable of having those other plans, those other ideas. So I, I'm not coming down too hard on the manager and the team. I don't want to do that because as much as I'm not happy with how this season has gone, um, this season has provided me with more happier times than any time in the last nine years have. Um, that game in December, all those European results, there's, there's been some real moments of joy this season. But for all the highs, there's been massive, massive lows as well. And a lot of that does come from this one system and persevering with it every single game and trying to make players that maybe aren't best for it fit into that rather than adjusting it. I've got some real concerns for him now um, if he's unable to, to get a reaction. And by the way, I fully expect us to quite strongly beat Aberdeen on eh, Aberdeen, eh, Hamilton on Wednesday um, because we don't have any pressure on us and because it's going to be uh, far more relaxing and that massively concerns me because again as I say I think that comes back to the player attitude to what the communication style is. You've obviously said that you'll keep him. I understand that so let's go through let's say the rest of the season we, we finish second. Um, we probably go as far as we've gone in the, the Europa League, theoretically. Um, in your mind, what has to happen in the summer and then the immediate future for Gerard to stay longer term? Um, I think, I'll, I'll say again, I, I don't think we change manager in the summer. He, he does have to stay. He signed a four-year contract. He spoke a lot at the start about how this was a four-year plan to get where we needed to be. He spoke about all the different transfer windows he would need to assemble the players he wanted to assemble. Um, but something needs to happen. I, I think the League Cup next season is, is huge. It was huge this season. We should have won it this season. We deserved it this season, um, but we didn't get it. Um, but I think winning that League Cup next season is absolutely huge. And that has to happen early doors to set down somewhat of a marker on the winning business. Um, in terms of recruitment, I think we need to stop looking at English academies for their, I don't want to say their best options, because their best options are actually getting into their 22s. It's, we need to stop looking at players that aren't deemed good enough for Liverpool and they can only come to us and give us a turn. Um, we need to start looking at some experience. There's been a lot of stuff on Twitter and online over the last couple of days about we need to buy winners. Unfortunately, we can't afford to buy winners, Cammy, um, for a start. If you want to buy winners in Scotland, then for the last eight years, you're going to have to buy, look at buy Celtic players, which we're obviously not going to do. And winners in England or anywhere else are going to be massively expensive. So I don't think it's as easy as just saying we need to fill the team with winners. But we probably do need to fill it with a little bit more experience. Um, we probably need a bastard. We need an Aismith. We need somebody that's going to be... Uh, and that's not saying we need Aismith. We need somebody like Aismith. Somebody that's going to be snarling, be up for it. He's going to push everybody on. He's going to get in referees' faces and he's going to mean business. That's key for me in terms of the recruitment. Um, I change my feelings on Morelos all the time. If Morelos was to go on a run between now and the end of the season, get us a goal in Germany, I would probably fall in love with him all over again. But at this time, I'd be willing to take some of the money we'd get for him and reinvest it in two or three quality players. Um, and that's probably going to be key in the summer. If we get Morelos money, spending all of it, but spending it wisely on the right players in the right positions. We are coming up for another massive summer where the recruitment has to be bang on. Um, we we bought we we bought Hellander this summer for a lot of money. 
and we've not seen any of them through injury and through different team selections, we can't afford to buy a player at that sort of money that isn't going to be a first eleven player and play all the time. It needs to be bang on and we need to start next season bang on form um, and show that we're up for this fight and hope that they have the same sort of issues going for the 10 as we did. Um, that stopping the 10 isn't the be all and end all for me. It's Rangers winning 55 and winning the league is the most important thing. That means more to me, us winning the league, us being back than stopping any sort of record or silly tally they've got because we all know the tally means nothing, Cammy. It's it was mostly built up when we weren't there, when we weren't competitive. It will forever have asterisks attached to it in my head and most other Rangers players' heads, Rangers fans' heads. We need to show that we're back and mean business. We are being overrun by them at the minute and we're making them look better than they actually are. We're putting them down in history as this great team. We're making Neil Lennon look like Jose Mourinho at the moment and it just needs to stop. So at least that's all going to be about the recruitment for me to answer the original question. Getting that right, signing the right players with the experience to get us through these games we've been unable to do this season. Um, I'll throw another easy one at you then, because, uh, again, like I say, you're obviously in that mindset. Um, would you keep Tavernier as captain? Um, and if he's still a Rangers player at the beginning of next season, if you don't take the captaincy off him now, do you review it in the summer and give it to someone else for the beginning of next season? I don't take the captaincy off him at this point um, for a couple of reasons. One, because... I don't think there's anybody chomping at the bit ready that's going to make a big, massive difference and do a particularly better job just now and for the unrest that would potentially cause in doing so. Um, in the summer, if we sign someone better suited to it, then, yeah, we have a look at it and we change it. And I think the summer's the right time to do that. I don't think doing that in March is... I, I just don't think it's advantageous to what we want to achieve for the rest of the season. So I'm not against changing on this captain, um, but it would have to be for the right player and not just for changing, changing's sake come the summer. So I think I agree with pretty much all of that. I, I'm not keen to get rid of the manager because I don't believe that that form of upheaval, given the fact that he'll easily take the vast majority of his staff with him. Um, I don't believe that Ross Wilson, as director of football, is really going to be able to uh, replace all of those people short term. I don't think he has a plan for that. Um, and I, I just don't think that we are ready for for being able to try and do that at the moment, I think it will cause an upheaval and I don't see a replacement candidate um, as a glaringly obvious choice to be able to come in and replace him. That being said, I've got to completely agree with you. I think that his mandate has to ensure uh, either one of two things happens. And by the way, I think somewhat perversely, I think that actually the pressure comes off Gerard if for whatever reason Celtic don't complete the treble um, this season again. Um, because... I think, like you say, that's the main focus point. And a lot of fans that you're speaking to, you alluded to in terms of the 9 in a row, 10 in a row, etc. A lot of that is geared around what Celtic are doing. The only thing I want to really copy from Celtic is just their confidence whenever they are hard-pressed. And to a certain extent, they were against St. Johnson um, in their own quarter-final tie. Uh, and they got to, I think it was the last 15 minutes or so. And similar to Aberdeen, you knew that they were going to be able to get a result out of it. That's what I want. If Celtic, if I could take anything from Celtic, it would be that level of confidence and swagger. That comes from experience and time and what have you. However, I think that um, he has to be able to deliver a trophy by the end of this year. I think that he has to ensure that he's competing for the league, but I also think he needs to make sure that there's a team there um, where he is not standing by specific people, trusted lieutenants, um, as we've termed them, even when they're having bad games. Um, and I've got to include the captain within that as well. Um, I... 
I'm still very much on the fence as to whether or not we could include Tavernier's captain from the beginning of the season. I think it psychologically damages him if we take it off of now. I don't really know what benefit that gives us, given the fact that Europe aside, all we have now is a series of glorified friendlies, apart from two old firm games, which are pretty meaningless anyway, um, as much as they possibly can be from league positions, although obviously it'll be nice to beat them. Um, he needs to, I think, be a manager and not be a captain um, when it comes to these decisions. I don't know if potentially removing the captaincy off of James Tavernier for next season alleviates some of that pressure. It could be the case and it could get the fans back on board with him um, and give him the opportunity to be able to try and perform because there is definite talent within there. Uh, I just feel as if that's a, a big part of that to play. So, um, yes, uh, a lot to chew on, Colin, a lot to chew on. And I think... Um, it's it's been a tough result for us. I think, as I say, we're incredibly, incredibly disappointed. And I think a lot of when we are talking about things like the last 16, my immediate thoughts actually go to principally having been one of them. But the fans who go away with the team in Europe and go to the European Games and have invested all of this money, I'd actually be asking the team at the moment, do you feel that you're giving value in return for that? Because these guys are following you all over Europe. You've got to remember, we were there through all the qualifiers as well. We're getting through to the last 16 across to, to Germany next. We'll have tremendous support across there. It's um, It feels a lot like as if we're getting shortchanged, if I'm being perfectly honest. It does, and it's our fans will go out in their numbers to every single game. We'll sell out every allocation. Um, but there, there is going to be a, a time where we are going to show that we're not happy. I, I think I think Wednesday could be... I agree with you. I think we'll win quite comfortably on Wednesday, but I think if we don't score in the first five or ten minutes, then Ibrox could get quite noisy and it could get a little bit toxic and not be a particularly nice place to be sitting in for a while. Um, but as fans, for what we've done for this club, the support we've shown and what we do week in, week out, we do deserve better. And it's imperative that we start to see it and we start to see it quickly. Uh, from the boardroom to the management team to the players. It's, it's the full lot we need to see more from them. Yeah, I would absolutely agree with that. I would absolutely agree with that. Uh, now, that'll pretty much do us for this week, folks. Uh, we will be back on um, Thursday with our uh, Heart and Hand Extra show. However, just before uh, you go, if you uh, enjoy listening to Colin and myself um, and you'd like to hear a bit more, please jump over to our Patreon site, which is www.patreon.com uh, forward slash heart and hand, um, where you'll be able to hear loads and loads of shows for only a few quid a month. Um, there are hours and hours and hours of variable content on there, um, looking through various different moments of uh, Rangers' um, history, um, going through specific games on Time Capsule, talking tactics. Colin's got some brilliant shows on there as well. Uh, regarding players and also some quite off-the-wall stuff as well, which is always great to listen to when you get a bit of a pick-me-up. And my God, aren't Rangers giving some of them to us at the moment? Um, so if you'd like to go over and check that, please do so. Um, what you need to do when you're doing that, however, is make sure that you wrap up warm. And uh, my good friend Colin here has got just the solution for you. Yes, I do. And it's not a cuddle, unfortunately. No. Um, we've teamed up once again uh, with the famous, uh, the famous headwear and scarves that you'll probably see in abundance at Ibrox. Um, we've teamed up with Graham at the Famous to put together another heart-in-hand um, scarf. We did an original blue one uh, way back last year. We did uh, an orange and blue one earlier this season. And speaking to him and David recently, we decided to go with a third one, which was a black 
unread striped scarf, um, similar to the socks and my calling it the Governite. Um, and it's available on a pre-order until next Sunday. Um, these are all professionally made and made to order by Graham and his team at The Famous. So we do a pre-order and then we submit basically all the orders to Graham come the close of play on Sunday. He gets them made up and they're hopefully with you by the end of March. Um, if you've seen The Famous Scarves before, you'll know exactly how high quality they are. They're made 100% Kishmillan yarn. Um, this isn't like the stuff the vendors sell outside iBooks. It's a quality, quality bit of thing. And it's, it's actually nice wearing it. Um, I, I enjoy wearing the game because people spot you and identify you as a, as a heart and hand listener. And it's, it's quite nice walking past them. You've got a wee quiet nod to each other as you go by. It happens a lot with the orange and blue one. And I dare say this red and black one will be just the same. So if you want one, get in quick, heartandhand.co.uk. Have a look at the shop and all the details are in there under scarves for you. Yeah, please do so. And, and just to um, expand slightly on Colin's point, um, the guys at the Famous uh, do absolutely fantastic work. However, when these scarves come out, they are the absolute definition of limited edition. Um, we don't make 100 and then only sell 50, and then we've got some in back order. If we sell 204, they will make 204. They will not make any more of them. So please make sure that you get your chance to be able to, to put in for the order of it. They do genuinely go like hotcakes. Um, and again, just to echo Colin's point as well, Graham and the guys do a tremendous, tremendous work. Um, and you can just tell the quality of the materials once that you've you've had them through and stuff. And you'll have seen, I mean, they're massively popular at the moment. Um, and again, that is all fundamentally due to their quality. So, uh, yeah, please jump on to heartandhand.co.uk to be able to try and check them out. Um, that's all for us um, so far for this week. As I say, we'll be back with you on Thursday. Um, all that's left for me to do is to thank the executive producers in London, Mr. Mike Lee and Mr. Paul Miles. And also um, thank you for my uh, my good friend and my guest today, Mr. Colin McMillan. Absolute pleasure, Cammy. Thanks, buddy. Well, as I say, Rangers might have ruined your weekend, but let's get back on track on Wednesday, uh, and we'll speak to you all again on Thursday, Bears. Thanks so much, folks. Bye-bye. Podcast Network. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 